from West Virginia Public Broadcasting. Support for the legislature today is provided by AARP West Virginia, your ally for real possibilities in the Mountain State. Learn more at aarp.org wv. The Charleston Gazette Mail, using its CGM app to deliver the latest news, traffic, and weather alerts, keeping you in the know while you're on the go. Lumos Networks, online at lumosnetworks.com. West Virginia University, online at wvu.edu. Orion Strategies, professional public relations, government affairs, creative services, and research and polling, with offices in Charleston, Buchanan, Martinsburg, Pittsburgh, and Columbus. Good evening and welcome to the legislature today. Late Friday evening, the House Education Committee passed its version of the 451 Comprehensive Education Reform Bill. The vote was 15 to 10 along party lines. Joining me now to discuss what the House Finance Committee just took up this afternoon are the House Education Chairman, Danny Hamrick, House Vice Chairman, Mike D Mark Dean, and House Minority Vice Chair, John Doyle. Thank you all for joining me this evening. Um, before we get into the changes that your committee made um, to Senate Bill 451, I just wanted to, to open with a, a philosophy. What you see is the difference in the approaches that the House education took compared to, uh, to the Senate. Uh, it was uh, the, the House Speaker said there would be much deliberation, you were going to uh, take the time, get the feedback. Uh, uh, Chair Hamrick, how did you approach it philosophically, the difference there? Yeah, I mean, I, I think coming into the process, all of us realized that the, you know, the bill coming out of the Senate, um, it may need worked a little bit in the House. So we did, um, you know, set it on a path to go through the normal committee process. We sent it to, it was sent to House Education, and we deliberated that bill for three, over three, or for three days. Um, you know, and talked about all of the issues, um, you know, made some significant changes to overcome some of the objections of our committee members, um, and we're able to pass, uh, pass that bill out of our committee with the majority of the members, so. Well, let me ask you, um, at, when you saw what was going down, the process, the Committee of the Whole in the mm -hmm. Senate, uh, there were comments that, you know, you were going to take the time, you were going to deliberate, so tell us what, what you were thinking when you saw what was happening over here? Yeah, I mean, I think personally, I think the um, committee of a whole process um, is actually maybe a little more, even even a little more open than the normal committee process, just because every member um, of the body has a member to sit on that committee and hear from all of the, um, you know, the the stakeholders and everything. But I mean, I understand there were some outside views on that process. It may have been a little confused, and it. it may have not looked like the, the most open or the best thing going through the Senate. So we just decided to you know, sit down and, and go through this um, you know, the normal way just by sending it to both committees in the House. Um, you know, like I said, we did talk through it three days um, in education. We heard from a lot of different guests and witnesses um, you know, and made 
some pretty, like I said, significant changes to the bill through that process, um, just from the input of all of our members. Right, and we'll get into those changes in just a moment. Um, Vice Chair Dean, so your, your thoughts as well on the, on the process and the approach and the philosophy of what you ended up with. Yeah, I really like that Chairman Hamrick had so many different people come in from the, the community, from, uh, from some stakeholders, from people who are experienced with using some of these different techniques like uh, educational savings accounts and charter schools. We, we heard from those people, we heard from superintendents, we heard from teachers, we heard from principals, we heard from a, a big array of stakeholders in the process and I thought that was important to the members of the community to hear how different people thought they would be impacted by the bill. And House Education Minority Vice Chair John Doyle. Uh, first of all, I want to commend both of my colleagues here for the way that the House Education Committee handled this bill. Every inquiry we had was honored. Every attempt we had to amend the bill, at no point were we stonewalled anywhere. This was a really good process. And actually, I think we came up with a bill that is this close to one I could have voted for. Uh, but <laughs> as I said to, to the, the, the other members of the committee when we passed it, I said, folks, you know it's not going to stay this way. We know it's going to go back very close to the way it came over from the Senate. And as, as to the committee of the whole, yeah, uh, it isn't so much that the committee of the whole is bad, it's, it's the way they did it and why they did it. They did it simply to avoid the fact that they didn't have the votes in the finance committee. They could just as easily, and, and it would have been much, much more upfront if they had simply not even referred the bill initially to finance, uh, their education committee originated the bill, they could have just reported it to the floor. Uh, and I think this was a way of, of, of disguising that. All right. We want to get into the, the difference between the Senate version and what you delivered to the Finance Committee today. Um, <clears throat> before you presented it to your committee, uh, Chair Hamrick, some of the, the, the big issues that, um, that teachers uh, were very much against, the unions were very much against, were already taken out. You took those out before you presented it um, in, in the strike and insert mm -hmm. amendment. Uh, one of the big ones was the non-severability clause. Why was that decided to be removed? Yeah, I mean, and, and it does come back to this, you know, this whole process of being, you know, as much as we like it or don't like it, it is a political process. So. Um, you know, in, in discussions with the members of both sides of the aisle in the House, um, you know, those were just two parts of the bill that, um, you know, it, overwhelming majority um, were not supportive of, and they're just with those things in the bill, there wasn't a way to move it forward. Um, so those were taken out initially. There were other changes made. I mean, in, in conversations with, um, you know, the, the organizations that represent the teachers and the service personnel, we discussed some possible changes with them and those were actually made in the bill. We increased the uh, tax credit for the teachers to include all school employees including service personnel. Um, we increased the $500 a year in bonus to include all school employees instead of just teachers. So That was put in your strike and insert amendment? Yes, mm -hmm. yeah, those were put in the strike and insert before it was presented to the committee. Uh, uh, Delegate Doyle, your, your thoughts when you received the, the strike and insert amendment? Uh, and I think uh, almost all of the folks on, on my side in the committee thought the same thing. It's better than the Senate bill, but it's still not good enough. So we went to work to try and, and, and improve it, and I think we were able to. Uh, and, 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 and in fact, with some help from 
some of the folks on, on their side of the aisle by getting the educational savings accounts out, uh, chopping the uh, charter schools down to just to two charter schools. And incidentally, in what came out of the House Education, not only is it limited to two, they ha they, according to that, they would have to be public schools that wanted to transition over. Uh, and there were a number of safeguards put in there. So uh, it's, uh, and I'll tell you what, I, one of the things I liked about it was uh, the, lang the language on, uh, on initiatives that were put into to our bill. That is really good language uh, on... Uh, what, do you, what do you mean? Uh, the, uh, on, uh, uh, what, do you, what do you call it? Innovation zones. Innovation zones, yeah. The, the, uh, uh, we expanded the, the language on innovation zones, so it is much, much richer. Okay, you're going to have to tell us what the innovation zones are and what kind of money you put Mark, into I that. Mark, I think you should do that. <laughs> yeah, I, I can do that. I don't know if you know this or not. I'm a principal. That's what mm -hmm. I've been. I've been in the public education for the past 16 years. Uh, the Innovation Zones were a pilot project the Department of Ed started several years ago where schools could come to them with different ideas and say, hey, this is not really something that's in the normal scope of how public schools work, but we think this would work for our school. And they applied for a waiver and a grant. Well, the program's still in place and several schools are still using the ideas that they came up with, but there's been no funding for that. Uh, in our version of the bill, we put $5 million towards that funding process. And I think that would have brought about some real changes. That's one of the things I've noticed on this that House Finance has removed. They put a place, put somewhere for the funding to go, but there's no amount set for the funding. So I, I was kind of disappointed to see that change. Well, just to stay on that innovation zone um, for just a moment, we heard several people say, sounds like charter schools. I mean, that we have something that will um, allow for that innovation, that independence, uh, uh, gearing more toward the population that you have, perhaps smaller classrooms. We have a mechanism already in the public school system but called the Innovation the Zones. control of the elected county school board. That's the fundamental difference. Well, then, th let me ask you, gentlemen, why did you pull back from a statewide uh, implementation of charter schools wherever and whoever? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, it, yes, and, go ahead. And then just to, I mean, to speak on that, I mean, a lot of it was, like I said, in conversations with members of the committee, just getting, you know, getting members to a point they could feel comfortable. Was this something that could be a pilot program to try to, some, to try to spur some new innovation, new innovative processes in the state? Um, so that's why it was um, taken back to the way it was, just to, you know, try to get more members comfortable with it. I mean, I think probably individually all the members of the committee probably have their own strong opinions. I mean, personally, I would have liked to have seen the language a little stronger, but it is a process, so we have to work together. Stronger in what way? Well, I mean, the, 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 I think the charter school language, um, you know, could have been a little more open than tailored just down to two and only being conversion schools. Um, I, I do like the idea of starting it out as a pilot, sort of just trying it to see how it works, but I think it could have been maybe a little more open, but I, I understand the legislative process and I'm happy to work with all my members of my committee and you know, get to somewhere where we can compromise. I think if it's, I mean, I think I've heard, this, I've heard the saying said a lot of times, if, if one person's happy and the other one isn't, it's not a very good bill, but if everybody is just a little bit unhappy, 
it's probably a good compromise. So I think that's you know, sort of where we are. Uh, Delegate Dean, mm -hmm. let me let me ask you, and I, I know Delegate uh, 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 we'll, <laughs> we'll be getting to you about the charter school oh. in a moment. But you, you mentioned you are a principal, and we've heard principals and uh, superintendents and many, many teachers and parents very, very um, concerned about the implementation of the of, of the charter schools. What, how, how do you feel, not as a legislator or as part of the leadership team, but you know, as that principal? Uh, I was particularly concerned about it being from a rural area. It doesn't take uh, very much loss of students to really impact your county or your building. Just because two or three students leave, that doesn't mean that you can shut the class down or quit, quit paying the lots in that room or what have you. There's still school's still going to be open, but with just less funding. So that, that was one of my big concerns. That's why I thought the innovation zones was a really good compromise because it would allow you to try some of those new ideas, uh, but without the fear of, of losing funding in your county. All right, Delegate Doyle, um, in the Senate, there was a, a, a lot of concern about the constitutionality or the unconstitutionality of, of public charter schools. Um, it, it, was that, was that uh, debated, was that looked into, deliberated about in, in uh, House education? There were a couple of questions asked about it, but most of us on the Democratic side focused on how good an idea this is. I, th I think they're a bad idea for West Virginia. There are six states right now that have no charter schools at all, West Virginia being one. Look at the others, Vermont, North Dakota, Montana. These things do not work in rural areas. And let's face it, uh, people in Charleston and Huntington think that they're cities. Uh, they're not cities. They're big towns. Uh, and we're, we're one of the two or three most rural states in the Union. And that's why I think that, that going for charter schools is barking up the wrong tree. And I have seen no groundswell of opinion whatsoever, either in my district or in other parts of the state, that says we, the public, demand charter schools. Well, we, we've had, um, even as this uh, program airs this evening, there's a second public hearing. We've had two public hearings mm -hmm. on this uh, bill here today. And uh, this morning's, I attended this morning's, and uh, clearly there was more concern and more, uh, more speakers speaking against uh, Senate Bill 451 or whatever version it, um, it, it is now. But there were supporters, too, wanting... Uh, wanting that innovation that uh, comes along. But that's where innovation zones come in. If we try innovation zones, expand them, fund them, and it turns out they don't work, okay, let's have a debate about charter schools. But I think the innovation zones will produce just as much in the way of new ideas as charter schools will. I think one thing that kind of backs up what Delegate Doyle was saying is from the previous set of innovation zones, there's actually been some legislation passed to make those things statewide. Like one school wanted to, the, the dropout age used to be 16, and this one school district wanted to raise their dropout age to 17. And that was so successful that it's actually been passed in the state law for the entire state to follow. So I think you saw some really good things coming from the innovation zones, and I think the expansion of that would be really good for our, our public education system. I mentioned the public hearings and what um, people were, were bringing to the podium today. Delegate Dean, I'd like you to, to comment um, further on something that you tweeted this weekend, and that was that no reform measure will ever improve student achievement. You wrote, 
in West Virginia until we address student attendance, parent mm -hmm. apathy, and the extreme lack of access to mental health services in our schools and our communities. And we have heard that from every teacher and parent, the lack of, of mental health services or, or not enough of them. Um, the opioid crisis, these children are traumatized. Um, just, just speak from your experience and, and, and to what degree is it addressed in the committee version? Uh, parts of it are addressed. This, the student attendance wasn't really addressed. Chairman Hamrick and I talked about that. Uh, has kind of tasked me to find something for next session that we can do to, to improve student attendance. I've always said that if we can get the students there in the classroom, then the teachers are talented enough to convey the material to them. So I think that's number one most important. The mental health part of that actually was addressed in Senate Bill 51. It provided $24 million for what they call professional support services, which were things like counselors, social workers, uh, school psychologists. So I thought that was one of the really shining lights of this bill was that it does increase that the access to those kinds of services. It does increase it, but you all heard in this last fall, the, or the, the winter interim, one of the uh, interims this past winter, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, DHHR Secretary Bill Crouch estimated to address this need in our public school system, it would take $100 million mm -hmm. to hire the appropriate amount of staff to address this need. So yeah. really, $24 million no, and is I, really a scratch, really? Yeah, I mean, I understand that. And yeah, I, you know, you really can't be even begin to fathom what it would take to solve this issue at some times because it is such a big problem in our state. I, I just think, you know, this is a starting point. At $24 million, it does provide for at least one of those support personnel in every school. So whether it be a psychologist or a counselor, um, it, it would guarantee at least one for every school in the state. So I think that it is definitely a starting point. I just had a meeting a few moments ago before this, before I came down here with um, representatives from DHHR about um, ways to provide more of that federal funding that comes down to DHHR to deal with the opioid crisis, um, provide more of that in the schools. So there are some, there's some issues there that need worked out. A lot of times from, from their point of view, I hear that a lot of times the schools just aren't billing Medicaid. Um, they're just not utilizing the services that are actually available. So I think there's just some, some places here that, they can, that we can uh, get DHHR and the school system to work together to also help that problem. Even outside of DHHR, Air County is doing something really neat right now. They're, they've contracted with a, uh, or not really contracted, it's made an agreement with an, a counseling service there in the community who comes out to the school and with permission of parents, uh, they, they can actually bill these people's insurance and they're seeing kids in our school where it's easy to get to them, easy to have the conversations with them. And that's been very successful for Mingo County. I'm excited to see that off the ground. I'd like to introduce the, the three of you once again for our radio audience. We are speaking with House Education Chair Delegate Danny Hamrick of Harrison County, House Vice Chair Mark Dean of Mingo County, and House Education Minority Vice Chair John Doyle of Jefferson County. Um, uh, Delegate Doyle, other, other areas that, that the two parties did not agree in when it when it came to the the strike and insert the the ultimate uh, uh, house education um, substitute. Now, you're talking about the, the strike and insert as originally what, presented. What came or out of what came out of yes. What was yeah. what was voted on Friday night? Yeah, uh, actually, except for those two, 
pilot charter schools, and, and Chairman Hamrick and I are going to disagree on this. Yeah, I don't want anything in this bill, any reference to charter schools. Uh, and, and, and if we could get that out, I could have voted for what passed out of House Education. Everything else they put in there, I think, was pretty good. Yeah. One, th one thing important to remember about the charter schools, the way that the final bill work ended up was it had to be a conversion school, it had to be an existing public school, mm -hmm. and it couldn't just be forced down their throat. They actually had to vote. The majority of the staff had to vote to be a charter school, and the majority of parents in that school would have to sign a petition to, to be even to do the application for a charter school. So no matter how you feel about the charter school issues, this at least put some safeguards in place that it wasn't just to be forced on some community. I agree with him on that. Uh, Chair Hamrick, as you know, on Saturday it was announced that uh, uh, teachers and school workers authorized an unspecified uh, statewide work action sometime in the future if, if the union deems uh, that appropriate. Have, have you had conversations with, with members or leadership of, of the West Virginia Education Association, the American Federation of Teachers, how, how they're feeling about where the process is right now? Yeah, I mean, we have. I, I've had uh, meetings with them and the speaker. Um, and, and other members of leadership. And yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I definitely understand where they're where they're coming from. But as I said, this is a process. It's a long process. Sometimes in the middle um, of that process, none of us really like the way a bill looks. <laughs> but but I think it's a process that we have to go through and get to the end uh, before we make any decisions on whether or not we can support something. So that's I mean, we did take a lot of the concerns that the that the unions had and, and place some of those in the bill. And you know, we're not. I mean, I'm definitely not closed-minded. I'm willing to listen and I take the opinions of every teacher or professional employee in the state seriously and, and take those concerns to heart. Just because we may dis disagree on a few things, we are definitely listening, listening and you know, taking all those into consideration. Uh, Delegate Dean as well, any, any feedback, any, any thought as to how, um, how it was received and is there buy-in yet? Well, I think it's really kind of hard to judge the buy-in until we see what the final version of the of the bill is. As soon as we got our version passed out on Friday night, you were already hearing grumblings from people, oh, the next place is just going to change it, the next place is just going to change it. So it's kind of hard to judge that buy-in until the process is closer to the finish line. I guess what we heard this morning in uh, the public hearings is uh, concern that while some of these things that they wanted removed and your committee did indeed remove them, there's great chance that they, it could be put back once it goes back to the, to the Senate. So, or even um, in the House Finance. In the House Apparently. Finance, exactly. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and so I'm, I'm wondering how hard will the House fight for its version? I mean, the education committee, you mean? Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I think that's sort of up to the members um, of the committee. A lot of us have a different, a little bit different viewpoint. I think there's a lot of good changes we did make to the bill. Um, and I think some of those will definitely stay intact through the process. But, um, you know, working through this, every member is going to have to decide one way or another what they support if they can, you know, if they want, you know, the changes made that, that happen in finance. Um, either way, we have to vote, vote on either or both amendments on the House floor. Um, so if one passes, the other one would be precluded. If the other one passes, or if, if that one fails, then we can vote on the second strike and insert amendment. But 
it's a process, and I think we'll, you know, we'll come to a conclusion the majority of people can live with, and, and hopefully we can, you know, keep the, 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 you know, the levels of stress down for as many people as possible. Well, I, I, I'm wondering, it, you know, once it gets over to the Senate, whatever leaves the, the House, mm -hmm. if it's not the exact version, and yeah. it, it hardly looks like it will be, um, how hard will the House fight in, in conferees? Yeah, I mean, in the, in the conference committee, I think, you know, absolutely that, you know, the House will, um, I mean, for the most part, stand for the House's position on the bill. It just depends on, I guess, which part. Um, you know, the Senate is going to want to keep some of the things intact in the bill, and I think as a House, we got to understand that, at least to a point. Um, but we'll see. I mean, we'll see what, uh, that's kind of where we're at. It's sort of fluid right now. We have to see where, where it ends up by the time it gets to the floor and then when it passes the House and decide, whoever the conferees are, decide, you know, where, where we stand on that. It does still have to come back to the House for a vote after, so. Look for a lot of fireworks. Look for a lot of fireworks on the floor in this discussion between the House Education version and the House Finance version. All right, we have an, an, another minute left. We'll let you, uh, Delegate Dean, wind it up with your final thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, I just want to tell my friends out there in the education field: just be patient. Uh, don't be too hyper vigilant on what's going on, but keep yourself informed and. Uh, you know, just pay attention to the process and what's going to come out of the final product. All right, terrific. Thank you, all three. House Education Chairman, Delegate Danny Hamrick, House Vice Chair, Mark Dean, and House Education Minority Vice Chair, John Doyle. Thank you all for being here You're today. You're welcome. Thank really you. really appreciate it. I'm Suzanne Higgins. For everyone here at West Virginia Public Broadcasting, thanks for watching. Have a great evening. <laughs>